As part of an ongoing series brought to you by the Clean Energy Resource Teams, featuring perspectives from clean energy leaders in Minnesota, we had a chance to sit down with Jamez Staples, President of Renewable Energy Partners based in North Minneapolis, for a recent conversation about how clean energy can help us navigate these times of change and how it can help us reshuffle the deck to ensure a more equitable future. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you enjoy listening. Hi, Jamez. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Um, so I'm Marie Donahue. I work with the Clean Energy Resource Teams, and uh, we're grateful to have you here uh, joining us today to uh, learn more about your work and leadership uh, advancing clean energy. Well, let's hop into it. Yes, sounds good. Uh, well, to start, I'm curious how you're feeling about the state of clean energy and what you're seeing in your work, for example, uh, advocating for more accessible workforce training opportunities in the sector, particularly as we confront the public health crises of uh, the COVID pandemic and systemic racism throughout our communities. So how I feel and what I'm seeing and what I'm thinking about clean energy, I think clean energy is a uh, unique opportunity for reshuffling of the deck. I think that, um, as we look at the existing systems, I mean, I think that this is a prime example of what could be um, of other systems, a, a demonstration of other systems. We know we need change. We know that we need to make the modification and the transition to a clean energy future. No different than we need a lot of other things, right? We need to address systemic racism. We need to address the, uh, the issue of, uh, you know, um, the police reform and all these other things. And I think that the clean energy is the economic piece is a, is a critical one of many uh, uh, financial stacks or, or, or it could be a piece of like it was a visit would be like the capital stack right of the deal that could ultimately is the first part that we could change as we know that the Minnesota Public Utility Commission has made a, a uh, an ask of the utilities to consider advancing some of their clean energy projects as a mechanism to create some economic opportunities. And I think that if we can do that work with, uh, with maximum participation of people of color, uh, engagement, I think that it will create um, a financial model that people could benefit from. Right. So it sounds, sounds as though you're seeing workforce training and clean energy projects as a really important way uh, or step to building wealth in communities. Absolutely. I mean, the environmental justice communities are the ones that should benefit the most from the clean energy transition, if you ask me. No different than the same thing when we talk about energy tra uh, electric vehicle trans transition. I think that, you know, the people who, who have cars of low income status are probably the ones that are driving the most inefficient cars. So if we could find a way to get them in some of the smaller, low cost electric vehicles, right, while building out that infrastructure, that could be the fuel, quote unquote, right? that could help them make the transition as we start to develop that infrastructure. There's jobs that will be created. Um, the workforce training is actually absolutely critical to move this, um, the agenda of, of EVs forward, as well as the adoption. And if we can make sure that these folks, I mean, everybody has access to the training to actively participate. I mean, first off, that they're even engaged in what's happening, right? I think that's gonna be critical. Uh, and then to show them that there's one, a way that they can actually actively participate. Now, there's there's the two drop downs that come as a result of that. That is, 
the drop down of being a part of the workforce or and or the adoption of EV charging, which ultimately connects back at the bottom to addressing climate change. So, I mean, it's 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 it, it can be a vertically integrated strategy if we if we were to do it properly. Hmm. I'm glad you're raising those points around EVs and or electric vehicles and access to that technology, which I know I've heard has been a focus of your work, whether that's in solar or um, electric vehicle charging. So I guess I'm, I'm curious, since these uh, conversations can sometimes be a bit wonky or technocratic, how do you approach that? Or how do you see, how did you come to see these technologies um, as being such a critical piece to focus on? Uh, I came to this work because I wanted to create economic opportunity for people who have traditionally been left behind. Um, and that, that there in itself was a mountain to climb because it wasn't like I had a background in it. But when I saw how big the mountain was, right, after you kind of like you get up one little hill and you realize there's another big hill, I kind of got involved and I realized it was like, this thing is huge, right? The clean energy, everything, right? EVs, uh, energy efficiency, uh, just the whole gamut, right? The, the STEM component. And it's kind of like I had to run back down the hill to my people be like, look, this is an opportunity. Like we need to be a part of this. And I got up to the top of the hill and I'm trying to bring them with me. So the key has been like, how do we make this an opportunity for all of us to actively participate? And the fact that the climate change movement had already been happening and it had already been like a serious point of discussion on like the presidential campaigns uh, made it just that much more grandiose to bring this to, for me to kind of like try and help those that didn't know about it to see if there's an opportunity in it. So I came to this work again, like I said, through, looking at it through the economical lens. And then I realized that there was a, like, if we're here and, and we want to get here, there's a big gap. So the goal was, is like, well, that gap was one, the awareness, but two, the actual training that was necessary to, for people to participate, right? That's where I was like, well, if we want to be a part of this, we got to start preparing and getting ready. And that's where it was like, okay, the training center is a critical component of this uh, industry as we move forward. So, I mean, I know I've jumped in talking about EVs, but I'm very much so obviously I'm in the solar business and we're developing projects and the intended use of those projects. I mean, the intended use of the training center is to, to get looking at the disparities that Minnesota has. My goal was to again, in vertical integration. How do we make sure that the youth are engaged and so that they can actively participate? Because if we have disparities, then we need to figure out how to address those disparities. But if we just work, focus on the adult population, we still got the youth coming out of school without the skill sets that they need. And if we can stop that from happening, that's kind of like putting the pressure on the wound so it's no longer hemorrhaging. And then we can start to focus on how we ultimately, uh, once we at least get the youth together, right? then we can focus on the adults also, because if we keep doing, it's like doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. The educational system isn't necessarily working for the youth. So we need to fix that, get them the technical training, get them the awareness of these, these STEM careers, and then also simultaneously address the issue of the adults. Great. Uh, well, I have some background about your work on this training center, but perhaps for our audience's sake, could you ground us in your vision for that location and expand um, on this idea for a place-based center, could you, uh, and maybe could you speak to some of the gaps that you spoke to 
earlier or saw as why a center like this, where it is uh, in North Minneapolis, was so needed? Sure, sure. So the training center is um, it's a it's a site in North Minneapolis um, located at 1200 Plymouth, which is on the highest use transit line in the state of Minnesota. It is on the five bus line. Um, it is also scheduled for a $75 million bus rapid transit improvement, which will run all the way from uh, Brooklyn Center to Bloomington. And the buses will come as often as every 10 to 14 minutes or something like that. So it gives it a direct north-south connection. There's also the light rail, which will be within, within a reasonable proximity um, so that one can get to it. Also connect by light rail as well as the bus. So that was the issue because, so let me back up for a second, I apologize. When I started the company, uh, solar installation, we realized quickly that the, uh, in order to be efficient and profitable, we needed to make sure that we had uh, a workforce that was skilled. Now, granted, we were on the roof working and kind of just figuring it out with some guidance and direction from the other people that were on the roof with us. But everyone knows if you don't know what you're doing on a roof, you can lose lose your shirt pretty quickly, right? It's kind of like any other business. If you don't know what you're doing and you're paying people, you can easily go into a hole. So I asked where the training was and the training was in St. Michael. Uh, that's where the IBEW's training center was at the time. There's no public transit to get you there. The same with the Hugo, Minnesota, where Excel Energy had a desire saying that they wanted to diversify their workforce. There was no public transit to get anybody there for their line worker uh, training. If they wanted to take a solar class, it was in White Bear Lake at uh, Century College, two hours one way uh, bus commute. If you wanted to take that class, and the same thing for the um, for the line for the line worker uh, training at um, Dakota County, it's two hours one way. Right. I said we just need to fix that issue. State governor, uh, legislators, you guys are looking at selling this property. I think it'd be ideal if you all would use this piece of property for the purposes of training. Um, People for these emerging sectors of, of STEM, STEM careers. And a lot of, yeah, a lot of nods, a lot of letters of support, but when it came to it, the state decided they were going to sell the building. I had already worked on it for roughly three, three years at this point, trying to get the state to bond for it, making it a public project. And then when they decided to sell it, I was up in arms, right? It's kind of like, what are you doing, right? After having a conversation after conversation, and then somebody just say they're going to sell it. It's like, okay, this is, now I got to figure this out. So made the acquisition of the property. And we've been working for the last few years to basically bring the, the vision to, to fruition. And that means uh, bringing solar training to the community. As, uh, so I did mention this, I serve on a variety of uh, committees. And one of them is the Clean Energy Partnerships Energy Vision Advisory Committee. And the purpose of that was because I know that the city of Minneapolis has a desire to go 100% renewable. I'm saying, hey, we can do this work with equity. I know that the numerous state agencies or numerous governmental agencies have a desire to go 100% renewable, also including the state of Minnesota. How do we make that happen with equity? How do we make sure that when the Met Council is talking about 100% renewable that and the county and on and on and on. So through the Clean Energy Partnership Energy Vision Advisory Committee, we authorized a study just because I knew this, I knew the information before I, before uh, we did the study, but I said, we don't have the workforce to meet 100% renewable. And after two years or three years, however long it was, we finally did an assessment. We spent $25,000 on an assessment and it confirmed my, my assumption. 
So then I said, hey, we should figure out how to get the workforce to reflect the communities that it's in. So lots of hoops and hurdles in the in political fights in the interim, but we've got there. We've, uh, like I said, made the acquisition. We're putting, we've got 150 something kilowatts of solar on the roof, which will be connected pretty soon here. We've got batteries up and uh, we're doing a stormwater retrofit and some other technology improvements also. That's great background. Thank you. And all of this in terms of timing, it was recently, correct, that it all came together? Everything just came together within like the last six months, right? Last year, we, we were awarded the grant for the improvements and some uh, reimbursements back in 2018, but um, we just had some political issues there and we were over, able to overcome that in May. Yeah, May. So you just spoke a bit to this, but what did you find most challenging as you navigated this process with getting the training center going? and your work with your work in these times? Um, what's been most challenging? Yeah. I, I, I keep pointing to the politics because it's the politics, right? Uh, if, if, if everyone is saying they want to do something and I'm providing, and, and I don't want to say just I, because it's a whole host of people who have helped me and supported and have been supportive of this work. All these people are saying, this is how we can get there you want to do equity you want to see more people of color working you want to see you want to eliminate the skills gap you want to do this you want to do that and then there's a solution but then there's a certain segment of the population that is kind of in control of some of these things and they don't want to see the solution that's a problem right uh we were over, able to overcome those and now we're aggressively moving um we're also implementing a heat pump which is going to uh, put the gas utility on standby We'll be putting electric vehicle charging stations on the parking lot. And we're also implementing control. So the building will be its own freestanding microgrid. Which is important in these times of thinking about resilience, right? And how um, how we build back systems to be, be better. Uh, any other challenges? Funding has been a challenge. And just the partnerships, right? I mean, like, so we were, we, we were, I mean, our partnership, we got a partnership with the University of Minnesota, which is amazing. But I've been wanting to try and figure out how we work with the two-year technical schools to also incorporate some of those programs that they offer that haven't necessarily been able to be brought into the city. So I'm saying, hey, let's work together to bring some of those programs so that someone doesn't have to travel that far and still incorporate the state college and university system in. Sounds like an important step. Has there been sort of in terms of the strategy around those partnerships kind of discussions? Are you moving forward with, with any sort of pilots? Just because working with some of the nonprofits is a little bit more nimble. We've been working with them. I've made some attempts to connect with the State College University's energy folks. And we've, we've actually had some conversations, which is good. It's just actually bringing, the, bringing what we want to be a reality hasn't necessarily come together yet. And I and I think, and I'm not talking to the people that high enough on the on the on the totem pole. So I, I figured I have to probably move up a little bit. But I realized if you go to the top and you get shot down, it's no all the way down. So I try to start at a tipper level now, opposed to just going right to the top. Interesting, and that that would be a little more of the right kind of technical college level students that might be early in their careers or mid-careers, I guess, in terms of programming around the youth component that you're mentioning, are there any unique partnerships there that you're exploring or? Yeah, we made numerous attempts to work with the Minneapolis public schools, still not writing them off. Um, we would like to find a way to work with the Minneapolis public schools, but if we have to start working with other public schools, that's great too. Even if it's right now, what we're talking about is just, it's just a nonprofit partnership that occupies space to, to run programs. And that's, 
is what we're just going to do now until we figure out all these other things because we want to make sure that one we're just we just have activity happening at the site in these emerging sectors so we're looking at you know some of the drone technology programs offered by minnesota stem partnership so they have drones they have artificial intelligence robotics we have um, uh, juxtaposition which is running a environmental justice program we have some of the spark y which is a nonprofit organization which has programs in ag and some of these other, other kind of technologies and they engage all these entities engage with heavily with youth so uh, to broaden on that point about engaging young people at the training center and preparing them for the future um, in this next question i'm curious what do you hope that future looks like and how how are you now adjusting or adapting your vision and plans to align with that uh, especially given some of the challenges we've been talking about we've had to make some modifications i mean the the program we hope to replicate was a program called CTEC out of Rochester. CTEC is a centralized location where the, where the public school systems of the surrounding region uh, send students to actually engage and learn with, from a technical perspective. They spend students who pipe in via bus or their own vehicle, spend two hours there learning the technical skill that they want and they'll go back home. We haven't, uh, because the Minneapolis Public Schools hasn't signed on as a partner, we haven't been able to aggregate that, those participative uh, groups. So the plan now is to, and I forgot to mention Midwest Renewable Energy Association, they're doing their phenomenal work with us. They have stepped up and agreed to offer the solar training program that they have in addition to offering some scholarships for low-income participants that will have the ability to take the class and then it's called an internship or an apprenticeship shortly after. So they'll have the ability to actually go get the training, go to work, uh, have the organization contribute to subsidize the wage so that kind of like on that on-ramp when you're starting to learn the entities that absorb them don't lose money they have the ability to actually have their wage subsidized so they're not paying as much and then as they get up to speed then they'll eventually hopefully uh, earn the full wage of what the, the person should be making and and in terms of like kind of a vision i guess that you see in ways that you yeah would measure success in in your programming over time these partnerships yeah so the way i envision success is more people from this neighborhood in north minneapolis uh becoming aware of the uh, clean energy sector and the energy industry and sustainability sector then it would be for them to actually consider taking taking a taking an interest in from a pers employment perspective right and then that would lead to the requirement of the training and then that would ultimately lead to a job because we can advance clean energy in a very intentional way with equity if we if we made it as if we made it a priority. I am there with you. I think we're the sector needs to address and really grapple with how that's been prioritized in the past and how we need to move forward. Right. Do, do you see that? Yeah. In terms of what the what the clean energy sector, where should it be focusing? Where you think that that change needs to happen? Is it happening fast enough? I mean, I think that if the if focus more so on the people that were impacted right and creating the the, the pathway for them to, to 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 show how they can address the issues in their community i think that that would be ideal because then you start to get a ground so that people understand how they how or why it is that they got asthma right and then beyond there that they can actively participate in, in mitigating their children's children and children's children from getting it if they continue to stay in this community this is one of the largest communities. This community has some of the highest asthma rates in the state of Minnesota. 
So if, if you have a problem, whose responsibility is it to address that problem? I would say our, our public institutions need to be supporting no, no, communities, but. No, what I mean is like, if you personally have a problem, whose responsibility is it to address that problem? Right, there is some, some individual ownership right. that you have to take, right? Mm -hmm. right. So why not empower this population to engage and fix their own problem, right? Right, yeah, thank you. Uh, for emphasizing that and uh, perhaps as we focus on this point uh, you're making about empowering more people to take ownership of solutions and engage in the future of clean energy I wonder uh, just as another question what that means for what you're taking on in your work what's next on the horizon for you uh, or what's what's on your plate in the coming months as you move forward Sure. No, we're excited about the work that's happening already, right? The uh, exterior of the building and all the work that's happening on the outside, we're excited about working to address the interior spaces and build out those spaces and developing the partnerships so that we can make sure that, that it's um, built in with the intended uses for everybody to actually have access to participate. We are very excited about the one filling the existing space, but also the new space that we that we foresee to be developed in the future, which is across the street. We wanna develop uh, the three quarter acre parking lot into 80 to 100,000 square feet, which will ultimately provide the uh, additional programming as well as space for partnerships to actually come together where, again, people can have access to engage and participate in whatever area of interest that they have that's within the sustainability pathways. I'm super excited about that. Uh, we're excited about working with the, the Department of Energy. We're going to, we're, we're aggressively applying for various grants with the, with with the University of Minnesota, DOE, National Science Foundation, some family foundation grants that we're going after, you know, and, and even legislative funding. We're looking for legislative funding for uh, some of the, to build out some of the space and some of the programming. And I mean, and you think about it, right, when the state of Minnesota is spending or cities or counties are spending money on these programs, why aren't we finding a way to build in like the, the equity component? Why are we making sure that, you know, some of these people, some of these entities that have the capacity or, or need to grow, especially with COVID, right? I mean, we've got this COVID issue that's displacing a lot of people out of their jobs. Well, we should be using some of that, some of those funds that they're contributing to these projects to actually incorporate uh, workforce training programs so that, that we can help ladder up some of these folks back into the career pathways, which are uh, growing. Yeah, that kind of green recovery piece, hoping to do it in an equitable way. And it sounds as though you're, you'll be an important player in those conversations. So I'm going to spin, the, spin this around a little bit. You came where? Yeah, so I, um, I came to Minnesota. I uh, kind of moved around quite a bit. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I had broad, broad interest in sustainability and climate change. And knew Minnesota had a lot of really great organizations. I'd worked a little bit with climate generation as a student. Yeah, it was pleased to land here and learn the space. Yeah. So how do you, how excited are you about your role with CERTs? Tell me about your role with CERTs here. So I'm, uh, I'm telling stories. I'm helping um, with our communications work, primarily with Dan Thede, um, on half of my role. So I split my time between CERTs and then also um, a larger statewide group called the Regional Sustainable Development Partnerships, helping support communications on both of those. And yeah, just really excited to be, I think the applied nature of 
I mean, starts work, especially sort of seeing these projects being implemented and being able to, yeah, connect to people, hopefully someday in person, but at least in the meantime over Zoom, just about that whole landscape. There's so much happening in Minnesota, and I do think that um, there are also really important and needed ways that we are working toward equity. I have prior to moving here, I was um, at the University of Michigan and working uh, a bit with some environmental justice leaders in that program and in the Detroit area and just learned so much about how the bottom-up change and the ways in which we really do need to confront the ways that clean energy and our, our systems have failed communities in a lot of places need to figure out ways to do that better. Um, so that's where I'm coming from. That's my lens, but I am excited that CERTS is so so focused on sort of what's happening here on the ground. Well, I'm excited here journey, right? And uh, I hope that you haven't been uh, I mean, obviously, Minnesota is a great place, um, but I hope that these recent events and the more recent events haven't scared you away. Minnesota has some issues and they need to be addressed. And I think that they're, I'm glad that they're coming to light. I think that it's good that, you know, that the, I think that it's good that it's, it, it's, it has come to light. The world is watching. And I think that it's important that we uh, step up and demonstrate the way that we can um, utilize an industry such as the sustainability and energy sector as a way to uh, mitigate and curb uh, climate change as well as the economic uh, participation for some of these people who haven't been traditionally engaged. I hope so. <laughs> That's my goal too. So I'll be looking forward to working, yeah, working with you and certs and all the players on that. But. It's like it's these conversations right here, right, that, mm -hmm. that I like some of the opportunities that we have and, and also um, some of the challenge. You know, I think it's everybody wants to raise, you know, their hand is what's so great, but we also got to be willing to address the issues that aren't so great. So I think it's I think it's a great time for it. And appreciate the work that you're doing. Thank you. Just, yes, continuing to support your work and efforts too. Um, so just let us know how we can we can be supportive there. I'll be in touch. Okay. But yeah, thanks so much for your time, Jimmy. No problem. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this conversation between Jamez Staples of Renewable Energy Partners and myself, Marie Donahue, sustainability storyteller with the Clean Energy Resource Team. As we talked about increasing access to clean energy training opportunities and investing in demonstration projects of new clean energy technologies in North Minneapolis that will inspire positive change and educate future leaders. We will be sharing more perspectives on these and other topics as we release additional interviews with clean energy leaders in Minnesota in the coming weeks. We hope you stay tuned.